Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm Charlotte Wood, and I'm podcasting from the Bondec Montessori in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Today, we're talking about communication with children. If you follow us on social media, and we really hope you do, or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you might have noticed that we have a webinar coming up on Saturday, October 14th at 1 p.m. Central Time. So if you're listening to this as soon as it goes live, you might be listening to it before the webinar and we'll be talking about communication with children. But if you're listening to this after the fact, that's fine too. The video will stay on our Facebook page and we'll answer any questions we have about communicating with children. Every question we receive, we'll do our best to answer. If you want to send us a note at hello at bondec.org, or if you want to post a question in the comments under the video on the Facebook page, we love receiving questions and notes and feedback and thoughts. So thank you for sharing those with us. We thought this is such a huge topic. It's also worth a podcast. It's worth many conversations. And realistically, so many of our conversations with families and with our team are about communication. We're constantly communicating. We're in relationship with one another. So there's overt and unintentional communication all the time. A facial expression, the words we choose or accidentally use or words we choose not to use. In the classroom, we have a few tools at our disposal, and we thought these might be helpful to share with families. So that's the topic of our next parent education here on site. And the topic of this podcast and the webinar, we're covering all of our bases for communicating. Some things can change and some things can't. In the classroom, we have training. We have a different relationship with children than parents do, and appropriately so, having these varieties of relationships, educators, coaches, interested adults, as well as parents, creates a very rich experience for a child. But some things can change. Things like the phrases we choose to use. So things can't change. The relationship between the educator and the child is different from the relationship between a parent and a child. And that's not going to change and it shouldn't. But some things can change. The phrases that we use or the words that come naturally to us, even just pausing before we say something, can change how we communicate. And we can't change the child's response. Children are full humans with their own opinions, responses, and emotions, and sometimes it can be difficult to remember that, that a child didn't respond the way I expected. Oh, how unpredictable. We can't change that variable, but we do have control of ourselves, and within ourselves, we have more self-control and more control of our emotions and more control about what happens in the world than a child does. So this is the variable we can control. And so we hope that these tips and suggestions and ideas are valuable in having a positive relationship, positive communication with children. We'd like to start with empathy. Empathy is hardwired to our human experience. Children feel it from infancy, and it's triggered along with love and compassion in the parent-child relationships. This is one of those pieces that cannot change, and we're not expecting it to change. It's just something to keep in mind. 
It's natural for us to feel empathy for a child, to feel a lot of compassion. We love these children that come to school every day, but it's different, and again, appropriately so. It's different from a parent's love. This deep love that a parent feels for their child means that a parent knows a child's cry from across the playground apart from all other cries. They can hear subtle differences between hungry or wet or in need of a hug. A parent knows their child. And this is a tool. You are the expert in your child. You know your child best. This is empathy and this is the best tool in your toolbox. However, it's something to be attuned to because as humans, we have the ability to, let's say, set off those that we're closest to. We know exactly what buttons to push when we're having a disagreement with our partner. And when we're feeling a little irritated or a little hungry and tired or cranky at somebody, if we know them very closely, like a relationship, a partner relationship or a parent-child relationship, we know exactly what to say or what to do to make somebody else feel as poorly as we do on the inside. Maybe we have memories of teen years and the pushback that naturally comes there of knowing exactly what it's going to do to set off a parent. It's natural. We test limits. We push buttons. And young children can't verbalize this, and they're certainly not doing it as intentionally as I might if I'm feeling unpleasant toward those I love most. But it's certainly something that elicits a reaction. And eliciting a reaction is a response for a child. They're not doing it on purpose. They can't say what they're doing, but it is something that might happen and it's something to keep in mind. Am I reacting? Am I having an emotional response here? And this is where it's so valuable to have a partner. One parent might feel frustrated when a child won't put on the outfit that the parent chose or Again, one of those moments, oh, you have your own opinions about what you're going to wear. And another parent is, oh, you're wearing clothes? Fabulous. And it doesn't bother them one bit. Parents might feel their tone growing tense or short with a child at the dinner table. And a grandparent might be able to introduce and enforce manners and healthful nutrition. It's lovely to have these advocates and these allies. Find out who yours are and use them. Educators can also be a wonderful ally. Sometimes something isn't heard well or isn't necessarily being received well when it's coming from a parent because it's felt like, oh, because mom said so. But when we hear it from a teacher, it's completely novel and different. And oh, yes, of course, that's completely reasonable. That's just the nature of those pushing buttons, testing limits, and the empathy that we feel. The next piece uh, we're talking about is, am I reacting or am I responding? An emotional response, one of those triggered responses, that's a reaction. And we've all said things that we recognize later. Oh, that was, that was a reaction. I didn't really mean that or I say something I regret that's a reaction that's our lizard brain kicking in rather than our cognitive brain it's not our best self the goal is to respond especially when working with children the goal is to respond a calmer more thoughtful answer this can diffuse a situation or can help 
change the tone completely and set a child up for success. We've all heard, or perhaps we can imagine, if you don't put these toys away, I'm throwing them away. Versus, oh, hmm, it seems like these toys don't have a home. Perhaps it would be helpful to find the ones that are your favorite, and the others can go on for other children to enjoy. One's a reaction, one's a response. It's possible in both these situations, in both of these responses, there are too many toys. That's okay. In both of these situations, the end result might be a bit of downsizing. But the reaction, that's frazzled, and it's immediate impulsive. The other is helping a child to find a solution. Another example would be, if you brush your teeth, I'll give you a a sticker. We can almost hear the desperation in, just please, please do this. That's a reaction. A response would be, it's important to have clean teeth. You can choose to do it now, and we'll have time to read books together. If I need to help you, we might run out of time for reading books. Also in here, we have that logical consequence of a child has some agency in affecting their environment and affecting their life, and they have choices here. And the logical consequence is living with those choices. If you choose to brush your teeth, we'll have time for something enjoyable. But you're not brushing your teeth because I told you so or because I'm making you. It's because it's important to take care of your body. We'd like to introduce this phrase of follow the child. And I know we've spoken about this previously, and it's a phrase that gets bandied about. It gets used all the time. And this is a Montessori phrase that could be translated as, what is the child showing me? Follow the child is trusting the child to show you what they need and how we can present it. We make the joke of following the child off a cliff. It's not letting the child do whatever they want. The child is showing me what she's ready for, how much freedom feels safe for her by how much discipline and initiative she's demonstrating. We often hear the example of she wants candy for breakfast or he doesn't want to go to bed or she doesn't want to X, Y, Z. Follow the child. These aren't real options. This is when we have to remember we're the adults really and truly If we notice when we're having an emotional response to something, that empathy is kicking in, or when we're responding, not reacting, when we're able to think logically about something, we realize that's too much responsibility for a child. I cannot trust a child with everything. That's too much. This is pretty clear in the example of what vegetables would you like in your lunch versus would you like vegetables? It's a subtle difference in phrasing, but if I ask a child, would you like vegetables? We're giving the child an option that's very good-hearted and well-intentioned, but sometimes if we have the option, it's just nice to say no. If you have an opinion, it's nice to assert that opinion. We might not always choose the quote-unquote right choice. We might not always choose the option for health and for wellness. But which vegetables would you like in your lunch sets a child up for success. It's acknowledging how much a child has grown and, and giving options where there is space to give options, but it's setting a limit. The assumption is, yes, you are going to have vegetables in your lunch today. Sometimes, though, there aren't options. At three, you don't get to choose whether or not to go to bed or what time bedtime is. Where can we, though, where can we create options so that a child has some agency and feels like they're playing a role in their life instead of 
being passive and always being told what to do. Which books would you like to read before bed? Would you like to sing songs or would you like to read stories? Who would you like to tuck you in? In all of these situations, these are real choices and a child does have some freedom here. So we're setting them up for success and we're following the child in noticing how much freedom they're ready for and giving them just enough. Tantrums are a huge part of communication. A tantrum is a child communicating. Uh, we like to say 80% of the time a tantrum is a child communicating that I'm hungry and tired. But then there's the other 20% of the time when a tantrum is my expectations were met. I feel frustrated right now. The, the world is not cooperating with me. I have an opinion and I can't act on that opinion right now. All of these are reasons that we might see a tantrum emerge. And a nice way to bring all of this, this empathy, this react or respond, this follow the child, all of this together is in a tantrum. We get these questions all the time about tantrums. My child doesn't want to do this. My child refuses to do this. If there's an always or never type situation, my child never wants to eat dinner or my child always has a hard time getting out of bed. The good news is practice is built in. If we know something's coming, we can prepare for next time. We can prepare for success. So we're going to go through a bit of a flow chart together. So first, where is a child pushing my buttons? Where is a child relying on empathy to kick in? So this might be when you're asking for just one more book or just one more cuddle or you know, just one more of something. My child always has to have three glasses of water and gets out of bed five times and I just can't get my child to stay in bed. My child will never stay in bed. We have that cue of whenever something is a never or always situation, oh, we can prepare. So a child's willpower is always stronger than a parent's. And this is one of those pushing buttons type moments. A child can't verbalize that I can hold out longer than mom can. But they do know that if they just ask for just one more hug or can you leave the light on or whatever that one more thing is, they know they can hold out longer than a parent can. The good thing is the only thing that's stronger than a child's willpower is a parent's love. A child quickly will figure out that they can hold out for a reward or a treat. A, I refuse to use the toilet until you promise me a cookie when I use the toilet. Of course, you know that's that's logical, and they know that a, a parent uh, will give in to, in order to get the desired outcome. They know that they can hold out for that, and they know a child's love will hold out, or parent's love will hold out for that. We have to have the confidence that acting in a child's best interest is an act of love. If we're acting in a child's best interest in enforcing that bedtime or making sure something happens or preventing something from ha happening, if we're acting in a child's best interest, that's an act of love. Am I reacting or responding? Am I feeling frustrated? Do I worry about this situation and either up the ante with my anxiety or even cause it to manifest? And if that is happening, if sometimes our stress causes a situation to happen, can I ask for help? Either having another parent step in or asking for assistance in the moment or preparing for success with a child's teacher or other caregivers. What is my child showing me? 
What does my child need? This is that follow the child piece. What is my child showing me that we've waited too long to implement this bedtime and perhaps pushing the bedtime up by half an hour will lead to greater success. We were shared an example previously and and this example comes up all the time. It's pretty iconic and maybe you can even identify it. And we've received this question so many times, a child refusing to get in the car or a child refusing to go home. First, it's natural to resort to bribery or negotiation or words. I'll give you chocolate milk or I'll give you a toy or if you just get in the car, I'll give you a treat when we get home. It's it's natural to resort to that. But in fact, this is one of those times when I am acting in the child's best interest. This is an act of love. This is not a negotiation. Buckling up in the car seat or going to bed or taking a prescribed medication or wearing glasses or running into the busy street or going home, what, whatever it is, this is actually not an option. This is what we are doing. Um, and negotiating with a child kind of sets them up for failure in that implying this is a negotiation or that there is wiggle room here. No, in fact, we are not going to leave this parking lot until you're buckled in. And that is acting in the best interest of a child. When we think about it logically, outside of the emotional moment, when we're able to have our cognitive thoughts kick in, we're realizing, absolutely not. I'm not asking you a favor in buckling your car seat. I am keeping you safe. And the stress can actually cause more friction. Children know when we're on edge. A few deep breaths can work wonders. If I'm calm, I can help my child calm down. If I'm calm, I'm more likely to be responding rather than reacting. How can we prepare to respond rather than react? This is one of those nice times we're following the child and giving appropriate options. Are you going to buckle your seatbelt or am I? Again, this is not, would you like to buckle your seatbelt? It's, are you going to do it or am I? The implication being, you are going to buckle, your seatbelt is going to be buckled. Would you like to climb in this door or that one? The implication is we are getting in the car. You get to choose which side you're getting in. Would you like to go to the park or straight home? Know it's coming. Be prepared. Yesterday we had some trouble getting in the car when we were done playing. Unfortunately, that means we won't be able to play today. Perhaps tomorrow. It's not a punishment. It's simply we were not able to do what needed to be done. So that prevents us from doing something fun or something extra prepare. It's not always going to be easy to start with. It might be easy if you set these dominoes up for success. It might be easy the first time around, or it might not be. This might be the first time a child's experienced this this difference of not getting a cookie for using the toilet or coming outside and just getting straight in the car instead of having that enjoyment of playing. But in life, we're also teaching a child life skills in that if we don't do what we have to do, sometimes that means we don't get to do what we want to do. There are things that are necessary, being safe, looking out for a child's well-being, and ultimately that's our responsibility as adults and as educators and as parents. And so if we don't do what we need to do, if we don't do the responsibilities, then unfortunately we can't have the freedom to have the good moments. This is a little bit like we wouldn't feed a child cake simply because they won't eat their nutritious, well-balanced meal. 
we need to eat the nutritious, well-balanced meal. And then occasionally, sometimes, maybe, perhaps, we'll have some cake. Before a tantrum happens, we like to say 80% of the time, meltdowns happen because a child is hungry or tired. And we actually did write a a post about this, and it's called the 80% rule, if you want to look it up uh, on the blog. 80% of the time, meltdowns happen because a child is hungry or tired. You know your child best. What are the signs that she's hungry or tired? And what can you do to change the situation before the tantrum happens? Leave the park before it's too late. Tidy toys right after dinner rather than waiting until right before bed. Having a routine in place. Once a tantrum happens, though, we're working with a different set of, of criteria. In diffusing a tantrum, first we need to empathize. I see that you're not ready to leave. I can hear how frustrated you are. You look angry. I understand that. But still, this is what we're doing. Giving options. Would you like a hug or some space? Would you like to do this yourself or would you like some help? I'll be right here when you're ready to talk. These are all responding, not reacting. Setting limits, and and this is specifically within the tantrum, but we'll also talk about setting limits in a little bit uh, independent from a tantrum. So things like, I cannot let you hurt yourself or others. I cannot let you throw that toy. If you'd like to go outside and throw this ball, that's fine, but I cannot let you hit yourself. I cannot let you hurt yourself or others. If you'd like to scream, you can go in your room or in the bathroom or somewhere quiet, but that's unpleasant, and I can't let you do that here. And again, asking, when you're ready, I'll be here. And then after a child has calmed down and they're back to thinking uh, a bit more logically, then we can help a child see, see those resulting dominoes, walking through the process with them. It seems like you were frustrated when it was time to leave the park. I feel frustrated too. When you scream though, we have to leave and perhaps there will be less playtime next time. Or if there was an injury that happened, hurting a friend or hurting you or breaking something out of frustration, helping the child to be responsible for that. Not making a child apologize because We all know if we make someone apologize, it's not genuine and it doesn't really change things for next time. But saying things like, you look like you feel bad about what happened. I can tell that you feel bad about what happened. When I feel bad about something I've done, hurting someone with my body or with my words, I say I'm sorry because I feel sorry. Would you like to help me? clean up this spill that you made. Uh, Here is a sponge and you can tidy up the juice that you threw on the floor so that a child is responsible for helping a child to resolve the situation and to take a bit of responsibility for how they've impacted their family, the world around them, your relationship, and that also sets them up for ownership and success for next time. It's hard work figuring out how to be in control of our emotions, identifying those emotions, and what can we do about those emotions. But having a child play a role in that responsibility and identifying those is valuable in helping a child to be in control of those emotions. Setting limits is a really excellent skill to implement with children. It can feel challenging, but it can set a child up 
for success. They know what to expect. They know you are consistent and you mean what you say. There are natural limits within the classroom. This is one of those variables that we can control. And in the classroom, we use this as a tool. There's natural limits within the classroom. Only one of each material, and you can work with this appropriately as long as you'd like. It can be helpful perhaps to implement a five-minute warning in leaving the park or at the end of playtime so that a child knows what's coming and then to follow through with that limit that's been set. You can pick three books at bedtime. You can check out one movie at the library. You can choose to have a popsicle or a yogurt. But the caveat of limits is they only work if we follow through even if it's something good like choosing more books from the library or saying one more hug and then getting partway in the door and saying no one more hug following through with those limits is critical to setting a child up for success when we don't mean what we say we're sending the message that there is wiggle room and that this is a negotiation if i ask the right way i'll get mom to change her mind which Personally, anecdotally, I apparently identify with my mom has shared that when I was a child, she overheard me telling my younger sister, watch, I can get mom to say yes. And that was her cue that to follow the child, to notice when she was saying no, because that was her expectation and she was perhaps reacting and uh, not to set me up for failure as a child by thinking that, oh, everything's a negotiation. This isn't fair to a child to imply that everything, getting in the car, going home from the park at the end of the day, is negotiation. They need us to be consistent. Communication starts with being prepared. What are our expectations personally and as a family unit? What are our hard and fast rules and where can we give options and what are they going to be? It's nice to have a few phrases up your sleeves. At school, we use something is not available. Snack is not available right now. It will be available shortly. Or that material is not available. Your friend is using it right now. And not available is a really nice one. You can or you may or it's time to rather than giving commands or asking a question that actually isn't a question. Something like let's go use the toilet or it's time to use the toilet rather than do you want to go use the toilet in which case the child could easily say no perhaps because they don't want to or perhaps because they don't get options very often and it's nice to say no but if we want something to happen or if it's not an option to be careful about what words we use and finally This is a learning process. It's not a light switch that gets turned on and off, and it's not easy. One day something might work, and the next it doesn't. A child is growing all the time, growing and changing, and our relationship with them is growing and evolving, and our learning and understanding is growing and evolving all the time. Every question that we receive from parents, we've heard 10 times. You are not alone in this. You might feel something is ineffective, but keep trying and one day is magic and it suddenly works. There's a reason we're having a parent education and holding this podcast about communication. We get questions about this all the time. And you are not alone. It can be difficult, but we're here to help find those advocates and those allies because they're here to help as well. 
Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bondec, and email us with comments, questions, and suggestions at hello at bondec.org. Until next time.